You've been hearing how some big brands are winning through simplicity. But don't get intimidated. You can do this too, no matter the size of your team or your budget. Want to learn the six behaviors you can instill to create simple experiences for your customers and your team members? Download a free copy of my simple playbook today. It'll help you immediately turn your customer experience around and create an Amazon experience without having an Amazon budget. Grab your copy of my simple playbook at mattliles.com slash simple playbook. Welcome to the Simple Brand Podcast, the show dedicated to helping you create simple experiences for your customers and for your team members. Each week, we're bringing you amazing interviews with business leaders and authors who will teach you how to differentiate your business with the one thing your customers need the most, simplicity. Your customers live in a complex world. Let's make it simple. Now, here's your host, Matt Lyles. If you know me, you know I'm constantly learning and applying new lessons on creating simple experiences. While I love reading listening to podcasts, talking to business leaders, and talking to business book authors, sometimes I find lessons and inspiration from outside of the normal channels. Sometimes it's from music. Sometimes it's from superhero movies. Sometimes it's from historical documentaries or music rockumentaries. Sometimes it's from graphic novels. And sometimes it's from my kids' sports and activities. And that's why I'm excited to be talking with Master Mark Burns on the show this week. Master Burns is the master instructor of Franklin ATA Martial Arts Taekwondo Studio. But he's not just a local Taekwondo instructor. He's a 7th degree black belt, and he's a four-time world champion. Master Burns and I discuss his approach to teaching both children and adults not only in Taekwondo, but also in leadership skills that help them become more effective in school, at work, and in their community. And this was a really fun interview for me because I got to talk with Master Burns live in the middle of his Taekwondo studio in Franklin, Tennessee, ATA Franklin. Now, as you're listening to the episode, I want you to pay close attention to Master Burns' talk about his approach and his lessons, and think about how you can apply the same lessons with your team, or even your family. Leadership lessons don't have to come from a business book or a conference or a workshop. They can come from places you might not initially expect, like martial arts. So here it is, my interview with Master Mark Burns. Hey, Master Burns, how are you? I'm great. How are you? <laughs> Doing well. Doing all right, Mr. Lyles. Yeah. Uh, so this is my first time actually recording a podcast interview here in person. So this is a little different for me. I kind of like it because you're in, in, in my home uh, court advantage right now. So that's... Uh going to be to play to my my advantage here yeah not only that like i actually had i had to take my shoes off for this podcast interview because we're right here in the middle of master burns's studio and we're on the mat and as as a sign of respect you take your shoes off as you enter the mat yeah otherwise you're cleaning the mats yeah and that that's not going to be me (laughs) you have had a really cool career. And I mean, I, I would say probably some people may even be envious of you, but um, I want to understand, can you walk me through your story? You know, how did you get 
into Taekwondo? And then how did you get to be where you are today? Why did you want to teach Taekwondo? That's a lot of questions in one question, isn't it? No. Uh, so spill it ooh. out. Uh, my story, let's see, started in a podunk town of, no, it's not podunk, but, uh, Northern Indiana in Elkhart, Indiana. And, uh, I had been dabbling in martial arts growing up when I was really young, four or five, you know, that oh. age, um, with just some random things with aunts and uncles, their, uh, you know, relatives, friends, anybody that kind of had dabbled in it or were training in it. But, uh, Funny story is, and it's going to sound like a movie, uh, my first exposure to an actual commercial martial arts school was in the basement of my mom's Chinese restaurant that she worked at. <laughs> had no wall, no windows, um, you know, just four walls, concrete floor, and I had to go down like three, you know, flights of stairs to get to this, you know, little room. And this is where they were teaching Taekwondo class. And so I started Taekwondo and... Um, once I knew what I was getting myself into, I didn't want to not learn anymore. So what I mean by that is everything that my instructor at that point in time uh, was teaching me was kind of expanding my threshold of what I really knew martial arts was. And back then uh, in the 1900s, that's what I said <laughs> to the kids, yeah. uh, it, was, it was 1989, um, you know, there were not a lot of kids in class. It was adults. And then there were like two or three kids, but they were starting to get a lot more, um, children in their programs. Oh, wow. So I was working out with a lot of adults and learning just at a fast pace, all the information that needed to happen. But it was after my first, uh, testing that I realized this is what I wanted to do because I was in the moment where this instructor was talking over us and, and congratulating us on our belt. And I just knew the feeling that overcame me was this sense of empowerment, not just physically, but emotionally as well. And so I knew at that point, this is what I wanted to do. I knew that I wanted to be him, not him as a martial artist, him as the person making me feel the way that I feel. And I wanted to be able to give that back to somebody else. And so in turn, what I did from there was just kind of create the mindset that this is what I want to do and nobody's going to stop me from doing that. And, uh, you know, through my journey, I, I just have always been in our organization, which is the ATA, uh, the American Taekwondo Association. And I had just continued my journey and through, through the years of, you know, whether it be competition or learning to become an instructor, I just found myself progressing at a higher rate or finding myself in positions where I could, capitalize on whatever my passion was with martial arts or instruction and, and changing people's lives. And it just grew into so many different paths. So in the journey, there would have been a, a season where I was just only focused on me and only focused on competition. Then there'd be a season where I was only focused on becoming a great instructor and, and kind of honing my skill or sharpening my saw then it would revert back to, you know what, I, maybe I need to take a break. I'm, I'm putting too much into it. So I might take a step back for a little while. But I kept always finding my way back to being on the mat, teaching students, helping students through their journey to achieving black belt. It wasn't until I opened my first school in 2000 uh, in Kalamazoo, Michigan, that I knew that this was kind of, this is going to be my journey. This is going to be my career. This is going to be my life path. And, um, you know, even though there were a lot of, you know, peaks and valleys during that time, um, which in, in the long run got me here to, to Franklin, Tennessee, uh, the biggest and most important thing that I, I 
kind of learn from the whole process and the journey, um, the hero's journey, I guess you would yeah. say, is that the guides that kept coming to me and, and showing me were that it had nothing to do with what I was physically giving the students. It had all to do with what I was giving the students emotionally and mentally. It wasn't about what I could do. It was about what I could get them to do. And once I really understood that, then I started to really know what it meant to be a martial arts instructor. And so, you know, yes, I have a lot of uh, accolades as far as being a world champion, um, you know, world demonstration team, you know, five or six schools that I've ran or, or started. Um, but none of that really holds a flame to being able to change one student's life. And when we talk about teaching students, you know, I've seen where martial arts uh, teachers, masters, some will teach adults, some will teach children. You teach both, but the majority of your students are children, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. The main demographic of our, of our student base is uh, students anywhere between the ages of six and 12. Is that by your choosing? Like, is, uh, did, did you decide that that's where you wanted to focus was teaching children? Well, with anything, it, it's, it's understanding that if you're going to create a strong foundation, you have to start in the early stages. You can't create a foundation after yeah. the building's built right? The foundation has to be first. So, um, you know, in our industry, we found that creating students or black belts or instructors at an earlier age held the retention a lot longer. And what we've found too, is that there's just been a lot of scientific proof that, you know, starting a student that may have, you know, some challenges, uh, whether it be ADD or, you know, attention, um, hyperactiveness or, or anything, uh, martial arts helps them. So we found that there was a time frame where the demographic of who were coming to the school looking to be taught martial arts yeah. was going to be mainly and primarily uh, children. So when you say that there's, there's the science that shows that it actually helps children, is it the exercises? Is it the movements? Is it the form? Or is it what they learn in addition to the actual physical uh, it's going to be a, it's going to be a combination of all of those things. Uh, and then also to the patients, the patients and the direction from the, the main instructor, uh, that's going to be the biggest part because it's going to take a lot of patience, especially with students that have, um, challenges and, and whether it's a physical challenge or an emotional challenge or even a mental challenge, it's, it's all dealt with, with patience and persistence. You have to keep a systematic, uh, persistence of repetition as well as discipline in their teaching in order to get them to be able to focus or get them to accomplish what they're looking for. And with anything, anything that a human being wants or a human being loves, they're always going to focus on and they're always going to pay attention and they're not going to need anything else besides that. Gotcha. Now, when, when you talk about discipline, sometimes people hear the word, the, the term discipline, and they can think of it as uh, being disciplined. Others, you know, think of discipline as uh, in, in different ways. How do you define discipline here? So in our organization, what we try to do is simplify a lot of the meanings of our life skills. So for discipline, it's just to obey what is right. That is our definition of discipline, to obey what is right. The way we expand on it or the way I've expanded on it is that we have to understand there's two variations, just like you said. Being disciplined or being disciplined are two different things. Being disciplined is the consequence that comes from not being disciplined, right? And being disciplined 
is the consequence of good habits. And so that's kind of how we, we work on it with the students and understanding that. And we know that when we actually disciplined or, or have to discipline a student, it's never because they're in trouble or anything like that or, or make them feel like they're in trouble. It's all learning. You're learning. That's the first words that come out of my mouth. You're not in trouble. You're learning. So just listen, keep your eyes on me and focus, and we'll get through this together. Um, and that's how we kind of display it. I think children can have the tendency when they're being corrected to kind of feel shame, you know, like when, when they're doing something wrong. But it sounds like with that approach, like sh- saying, hey, you're learning, that helps to alleviate some of that shame. Mm-hmm. It's not as much shame as confirmation, right? So which in turn, what I've noticed over the past I'd probably say decade is that I'm seeing more and more students, people in general, not just juniors, but adults, teens, they all look for recognition right away or confirmation right away that they did something right. So it's kind of that whole, like, if I post a picture concept with social media right now, as soon as I get a like, I know I did it right. But if I didn't get a like, oh, it must not be the right post or something. So the same thing's happening with us socially too when we're training our students, as soon as they do a move, they either look up at us or they look up at their parents. And for us, I don't want you to look to me to know whether or not you did something correct. You should feel it. Right. And if you're not feeling it, it's because you don't do anything on your own. You have everybody else hold your hand through it. And so we have to, and the the team here, we focus really hard on being able to consistently stop them from looking for confirmation. The only confirmation they need to know is that they did it. You did it. Now let's fix what you did and know that everything is a growing you know, process and that it's going to take time. Nobody's going to get it overnight. And if they do, there's going to be something else that they're not going to get overnight. And so it's just that, that kind of process that we go through. So many people are constantly seeking validation these days. And a lot of it comes in social media. A lot of it comes in the workplace too. Employees are looking for more and more recognition, even if it's just verbal recognition from their management and from their leadership. But it sounds like you're trying to help children, help people kind of break that habit. So how are you helping them break that habit? When we come across a student that maybe their parents in the, in the audience or even with the team and we're having them perform certain moves or techniques. And after they perform it, they, they look up and they're like, did I do it right? You know, kind of that look in their face will acknowledge it. And I will just simply ask them, what are you looking for? Because that's really <laughs> the question. It's not, oh, what yeah. are you looking at? It's what are you looking for? Oh, wow. And so when we ask the students, what are you looking for? They didn't answer. And I said, if you don't know what you're looking for, stop looking you're wasting your time. And so then by, you know, constantly trying to ask them that or consistently, you know, catching it, cause it's very hard to catch it. Cause it happens so quickly. Of course. I said, just believe in yourself. Did it feel right? Yes, sir. Then don't look for anything. You've already found what you're, what you're looking for, whether or not you can do it right. And you did it right. And if you need help or to improve it, there's a difference between doing something right and doing something because you know, you're going to have to improve it. So if I know I'm doing this technique, I know automatically is a very low percentage or chance that I'm going to do it correctly the first time. I just know by doing it, it's going to help me get to that proficient point of doing it. So I know that I'm going to be told 
I need to fix this. I need to fix this. I'm accepting to the, the change that's coming and, um, and also the, the teaching that's coming so that I can learn as opposed to, is that right? Is that right? Is this what I'm supposed to do? Well, yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. And yeah, you're going to do it wrong. Like you just did, but I'm not going to tell you did it wrong. I'm going to fix what you did incorrectly, right? Without telling you, you did it wrong, right? So it's a positive reinforcement of what they're doing while also giving them criticism, constructive criticism, that's going to build them up and and, and propel them forward. It sounds like it's an an iterative approach. Iterative? Is that right? Uh, Where like each each time there's something new to work on. Oh, yes. Always so. You got your foundation right. You got your stance right. Now let's work on your on your arm placement. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, Grandmaster Sunho Lee, he has a saying and it's his quote is that there's always more to learn every single day, every step you take, you're going to learn something along the way. And whatever you didn't know, well, now, you know, right. And you'll never know everything. You, no one will ever know everything and be perfect at everything because it's just, it's not human. Yeah. Uh, and so that's probably how I approach everything is you're just always going to learn. And it, it, it can be frustrating for those that want to accomplish and be the best that we can be. Um, it is frustrating to know that I still don't know everything. I'm a seventh figure black belt, four time world champion. I've created over, you know, 5,000 black belts probably over my career, maybe more, but there's still so much more for me to learn. I know nothing compared to some other people. You know, that could be lower level than me in rank yeah. or higher level than me in rank, right? It's, there's just so much in this world that we need to, to, to absorb. I like to think once you stop learning, that's when you start dying. I don't know. See, this is, <laughs> this is where you're going to get into some deep thoughts because for me, I feel like in the process of dying, you're learning. Ooh, <laughs> even deeper. Yeah, right? So <laughs> that's that. That's that. That's how my brain works a little bit. So, um, but you know, hey. That's a different podcast. Well, there you go. <laughs> Next time. You mentioned that when you started Taekwondo, you were learning alongside adults. Mm-hmm. And you teach mainly children, but you also teach adults too. So I'm curious, do you have different approaches for how you communicate, how you teach adults versus children, or how you keep students engaged, whether they're an adult or a child? Mm-hmm. With the dichotomy of, of teaching kids and adults and even preschoolers, you know, our ages break down by four to six, seven to 12, and then 13 and up um, through the teen and adult program. So, and that's through a whole day. So it, when you think about the, the mindset that an instructor has to go through, they're starting off with teaching a preschooler mindset with the four to six-year-olds, and they have to go to more of a, a little bit more mature you know, for those kids that are seven to 12, they're in this, this prime, um, learning stage of growth. And then you go from that right to teens and adults who have created habits in their life. They're one way. They just got off a long day of work or hard day at school and soccer or whatever. And now they're coming in to train. So that, that dichotomy and all of that is, is kind of taxing sometimes, but, um, one of the best things is that everyone that walks in the door is a student. So though I may use more playful words or activities for the younger kids, <laughs> that works just as well for the adults. 
because one of the best things that martial arts does for a, an adult who is successful, maybe he's a CEO, maybe he's, you know, an entrepreneur just like you and, 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 you know, successful in their own right in their life, they still want to go back to being a student. And when you can walk through the door and let go of all of that responsibility you have in your normal day-to-day life, and you can be in here and kind of be uh, a baby again, in a sense, yeah. right? And, and go through training and feel like you know nothing, a blank slate, and you're having to learn all this and learn yourself and interact with people that you wouldn't normally interact with. It really allows the person to grow on, on levels. And, and that's why we see such an impact with our adults and our families that start training together because their, their kids start, but then all of a sudden they see them practicing at home and then they're like, maybe I should start. And then they start and they see the value in it all. Um, but I, I find that a lot of times with adults, the same things I use with the tigers or the juniors <laughs> still works with them too. You know, and, and, uh, it's not, it's not too hard. It's just the way we have to think as instructors that makes it sometimes a little bit difficult or a daunting task because you're going from one mindset of right. a preschooler to another mindset of an adult within a, you know, a three hour, you know, period of time. And I'm curious when it comes to the adults, do you think they have the same approach as the younger students? Um, especially those who are in the, you know, that, uh, maybe, six to 12 range who, when you notice those children like actively growing and kind of growing in their maturity, do you think adults have that same sort of mindset when it comes to coming in here and uh, coming into class and, and learning? I think you have two different types. You have stu- adult students that come in and they just, they get frustrated real quick because their their coordination's off or they don't feel oh. like it. And they're very perfectionist because that's yeah. the habits they've created in their life. Yeah. Then you have other ones that are just like, th- it doesn't matter to them. They know that they're here to be kind of ripped apart to like down to the bare bones to be like, oh man, I got to relearn how to do a jumping jack or the splits or a sit up or a push up because- Or burpee. Yeah, or burpee <laughs> because- they haven't done those things. And then when they get into the actual martial arts part of it, where they're working on the kicks and the, the strikes and all of the other tactics that we use, they find that it's just super complex and there's a lot more to it than just uh, a, a single body motion. You know, there's always a practical application to everything that we do. And I find that the parents or the adults that train find the value in the life skills that we teach too. And the life values that we teach, you know, whether that's with them listening while their kids are training or if it's them coming in after a long day of work and they happen to have trouble with their team today and then they come in and train and then all of a sudden they hear me talking about how it's important to make sure that you, you know, you serve your staff first and take care of them first, right, before you take care of yourself. So because they're the driving force, you're the you're the brain, they're the body, what has to be fed both, but the body is what's going to be the most important to keep you moving forward. Right. And so, that's right. um, that's kind of how we, you know, kind of work with the adults on so many different levels, but when they come in and they want to train, the click happens when they start to feel the reward. Now it's a little bit different for adults. They don't get the reward from, you know, uh, belts or anything like that. As far as like, that doesn't make them feel necessarily better. They feel the reward when they see a difference in themselves. And we, as the team here or myself, 
when we're training adults, if we see somebody that's making a drastic improvement in their physical ability or mental ability, we showcase them or spotlight them in front of everybody else. We'll just call them on the middle and be like, everybody down listening position. I want you to check out, you know, Mrs. Smith over here. I want you to watch how she's doing the sidekick. And that's the reward is the recognition, right? Because even, even whether it's, you know, a tiger or adult, the three main things that we all focus on are freedom, recognition, and money. Obviously not worried about money when we're training physically, but we are looking for that freedom from not having to do anything outside of Taekwondo, all that release. That's the freedom they're getting that. And then the recognition, but how can you be recognized in something that you're just starting? Well, it's by making sure that you're seeing the improvement within yourself. And we just pointed out to them. We let them see it because sometimes we're always our worst critic. So we can't see what the change is really happening. Yeah. You talked about the life skills that you teach as well. And I got to say, I I was somewhat surprised when my boys first started taking here because I, I took Taekwondo for a couple of years when I was Alan's age, when I was about 10, 11 years old. And it was all about the movements. So I don't know how common this is, the, the life skills that you teach. I know that's, that's really big into ATA, but I don't know about like other martial arts programs. So I've really, really enjoyed listening to you teach your classes about the leadership life skills. And there are times like where I'll stop what I'm doing and I'll, I'll listen and be like, man, I, I wish I was sitting down with them. It's like, let me get my, let me get my pen and paper and start writing these down. This is gold here. Can you walk me through your leadership life skills that you focus on with your students? So in the ATA, we have six primary life skills that we focus on. Now with those six, there are other ones that, you know, um, components that come from that, that are also life skills. Uh, but mainly it's discipline, belief, respect, honesty, communication, and self-esteem. So with all of those pillar life skills, we call them, uh, we're able to hone in on being able to develop leaders for today's world because more and more we find that these life skills are the ones that people are losing the quickest. And so if we can maintain a grasp on teaching them these pillar life skills, we won't lose them, right? In today's society, we see a lot of disrespect. We see yeah. a, a lot of lack of discipline. We see a high level of low self-esteem and self-worth with believing in themselves and other people or even our community, believing that community will come through. Uh, and then most recently, you're seeing a, a, a change and a shift in communication where communication is no longer person to person. It's all mm-hmm. via technology. As much as it is easy to text and to email and to, uh, you know, phone call somebody, it's a lot better to look at them in the eyes and see their body yeah. language and, and really feel the emotion coming from them, which you can't get even through FaceTime. I really don't feel all of the emotion that I would normally feel when I'm right next to somebody oh, no. and, and hearing some good news or, or whatnot that they can, you know, feel the energy that comes about it. So, uh, for us, that's why, um, those, those pillar life skills are so important to our organization. Uh, with that said, that doesn't leave all the other ones out. You know, as the instructor, uh, like myself, you know, I will expand on other things because I know how important life skills are. I expand on those life skills and go outside of just what we have in our organization that gives us a, a basic fundamental understanding to be able to, to teach students. 
I go further than that and I try to find even more information on how to have better discipline in your life, uh, how to create better communication um, and, and then expand on it as well. And every day I'm, I'm listening and, and learning, right? As uh, you should. There's, as there's yeah. always more to learn of ways that I can apply something that happened today to our life skill that we're using uh, during our sessions. And do you see that resonating with children? Uh, absolutely. I think that we, we don't give them enough credit to what, what they know and understand. It's just how we word it to them. How we word our life skills or what they're actually learning is not as simple as just telling them discipline is to obey or right. What's right. You know, if you know, that's the right thing to do, you should do it, you know? Um, and by doing that, you'll gain respect. You know, it's not that simple. It's not that cut and dry. You have to create a, uh, you know, a parable of you, if you will, so that they can learn what believing in themselves mean. And if that means on the fly during class, and this is what makes the difference between a good instructor and a great instructor, um, is that on the fly, you could see somebody accomplish something. And then the next time they do it, they fail. They lose belief in themselves. Then you see them pick themselves back up and do it again and do it even better than they did the first time. That's what you have to capitalize on. That moment right there is what's going to teach everybody else in that class what belief is really about. And yeah. so that's what we want to see more clearly when we're teaching. We're not just verbatim and, and be regurgitating words all the time. When we talk about belief, when we say, yes, I can, that's what, that's what belief means in our organization. When we talk about uh, teaching the kids what belief means, we just say, yes, I can. You know, they pound their chest three times and they're just like, yes, I can. Um, it's not that simple. It's more than that. And there's reasons and times when you would say, yes, I can. And why do we say, yes, I can. And that they understand that there's a, there's a difference between saying, yes, I can and trying to accomplish, overcome a challenge and saying, yes, I can. When mom and dad tell you, no, you cannot go outside oh, to play. Right. You don't tap your chest and say, yes, <laughs> no. I can. See, and that's, that's not what it is. Right. And with kids, they are one-sided thinkers. And so they are going to say it. They're going to do that. They're going to believe so much in themselves. Yes, I can. Master Burns, I mean, yes, I can. And then you say, no, it's, it's, it's really cold outside. You need to finish your homework. You can't go, you know, whatever. They're going to go, no. Master Brent says, yes, I can. Yes, I can. If there's a challenge, if this is a challenge. Yes, I can. And it's, there's an understanding. And if you're a good instructor, you won't catch it. If you're a great instructor, you'll catch those things. And good and great are the only difference between good and great is the effort you put into realizing your self-awareness of what you're actually doing. That's the really true difference between good and great. Being self-aware of the things that you know you need to do to grow. That's it. Have you done anything specifically to develop your self-awareness? For me? Yeah. Um, a, a lot of times it's, it's taking a little bit of a, I call it the five seconds. And I actually picked mm. this up from a friend of mine. Um, the five seconds is just whenever I feel like I need to be teaching, I stop for five seconds and don't teach something. I just listen and watch for five seconds and oh, wow. then I absorb that information and then I continue because a lot of times, and I'm sure there's a lot of listeners and, and, and people out there that are teachers or instructors or coaches. And the first thing you're doing is the mode that you go into is that teacher instructor coach mode. And so you're yeah. always giving advice. You're always just pow, 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 you know, putting in this advice instead of listening so that you can learn. And that might change the way you give advice or it might teach you something that you didn't know. And so I find that helps out a lot. And then a lot of times I just, I'm a watcher. I just try to watch 
the way people interact, how kids interact with their parents, how parents interact with their kids, how people interact in the streets. And um, uh, people watching is probably one of the my favorite pastimes is people watching because I think it's just so interesting. Um, but self-awareness in myself is just, um, you know, being able to see where I can be stronger. You know, it has nothing to do with seeing my weaknesses. Right. Because weaknesses are just a place where you're not strong. So I'm just saying, instead of saying I'm weak, I'm saying I'm just not strong there. So there's a difference. Uh, and that's that mindset. And so, and that's what I try to be most self-aware of. So one thing that I think can happen, especially when you're teaching children, is ensuring that you've got the right boundaries in place. So how do you go about setting boundaries with your students and how do you enforce those boundaries? By setting an example, um, by doing that to them first. So when it comes to me, when starting students off from the beginning, I, I show them the respect first. I never ask them to give me respect. I, I never ask them to have to call me this or have to say this or have to do that. I'll never say, oh, you have to do this until they're to a point where they forget. And I'm like, remember, right. you have to do this, right? But it's all by example. So if I want them to call me sir, what do I have to call them? I have to call them sir and ma'am. Um, if, if I want them to bow when they enter the mat and off the mat, what do I have to do? I have to bow, right? And I have to explain to them why I'm doing it. Then once they realize why I'm doing it, then they'll question whether or not they have to do it. And then if I just say it, hey, make sure you bow on the mat. Oh, now I know I should do it and I'm doing it because you're doing it because it's the right thing to do. At that age, it's all about right and wrong. Is this the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do? It doesn't have to be so complex as the reason why you're bowing on and off the mats is because we want to show sign of respect on and off the mats. We have the flags hanging and it's showing respect to the American and the South Korean flag and the ATA flag as well. They don't need to know all of that, right? They just need to know whether it's the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do is when it comes to um, creating a leadership persona or behavior. And so that's, that's kind of how we do it. I don't really, uh, focus too hard on drilling into them that they have to be super rese- respectful because if, if I, if I do that, there's going to be more of a resilience to it, right? Cause I'm putting, applying pressure to them that they don't necessarily understand at that age, especially, I mean, any kids, even adults, same way. Oh yeah. And you just, you just go through and, and you do it for them and in turn, you're back, right? Isn't that what a servant leader would do? A servant leader would serve them first, right? By giving them their all and, and putting that time into them, which is more valuable than any, anything on this planet, time, because you can't get it back once you've used it. That's right. And then lead them the proper way. And so that, I think that's how I, I try very hard to have the, the boundaries with them. Um, it, it's just instilling them the process by showing them first and making them feel respected. And by, in turn, by them feeling respected, they in turn show respect to me. And I think that that can be really valuable, especially at a young age, for a child to feel respected and for there to be that mutual respect that you demonstrate. And in the same way, you know, if, if I think of a large company and there's, you know, new hires or somebody new to the organization, I think they feel valued too when their leadership shows them mutual respect. Sure. This isn't my podcast, so I'm just, uh, yeah. uh, you know, let me ask you a, a question is, sure. you know, we want to respect the past because it's what got us to the future, right? the present time, right. right? Yeah. But if you're training students who are going to be the future, 
don't you think it's only proper to respect them because then they're going to carry that into the future? So they, they, we shouldn't just pin them and be like, oh, you're only a kid. I don't need to respect you. Like you should respect me. No, 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 no. I I don't believe that. I don't think that even in, in any circumstance, we should show a, that there's a level of respect. It is respect the same way through. I'm not saying everybody in the chain of command is equal on that sense. I'm just saying that there is mutual respect for each other's position in the chain of command, whether that's instructor, student, and then student, and then guest, and then parent, and then sibling, you know, there's still respect, right? Oh yeah. With that. And, um, that's, that's what I think is super important. Wouldn't you agree? I do agree. I just don't think that it's as common as you and I would like for it to be. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Well, let's try to change that then, huh? There we go. (laughs) Well, and so you know, like all these lessons that, that, that you teach, if someone's not in Taekwondo, are these leadership lessons still applicable? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I would hope so. Yeah. Uh, we live in a pretty sad uh, uh, world if, if these life skills aren't important to other people. Yeah, I probably could go on and on and on, but I do feel like one of the, the main life skills that we don't focus on the most, and, and it's actually not one of our pillar ones, but it's a part of it. It's a component of it is empathy. I yeah. think that our world doesn't have empathy. And if our world had empathy, it would be a lot better place. With that said, in order to have empathy, you have to understand belief in yourself and others. Because if you can't believe in yourself, you can't believe in others. And you got to have respect for others, equal respect. And then out of all of that, I mean, your communication on how you communicate to others in a positive or negative way has an impact on the, the, the consequences that come along with it. You know, consequences aren't a negative word. It's just the understanding of something's going to occur. There's going to be an effect right. after you take action in whatever it may be. I just wish everybody could take my class. <laughs> no, I, I just, I wish other people would put more value in their life skills. Yeah. And, and really understand what they're actually doing when they're doing what they're doing and how it plays a, a major role in the domino effect or the ripple effect of, of people surrounding them. I, I just hope that as time progresses that we find our way back to, to understanding these, these core um, principles and values. And I think it helps no matter what age you're at. It certainly helps if you learn these at a young age, but if you don't learn them at a young age, you can always still learn them. You're right. You can. You just have to get rid of the, the, you got to get rid of that block that's called humility. And you have to allow yourself to be humble and be like, you know what? I don't know everything there is to know about belief, right? I'll be the first one. I still don't know everything there is to know about belief. I, you know, I don't know the first thing about communication, you know, kind of thing. And having that mindset to be able to be humble and to know that you don't know everything and allow yourself to be retaught or to taught more or, or to learn more. And so if adults could have more humility in learning, that would help them out, you know, because they do have a, a higher challenge than, than juniors or tigers do because, because they've been set in their path. They know their way. Oh, I've been successful this way. So my way is the right way. It's yeah. the right way for you. And there is no this one is the way, way. It's always done. There is no one way. Yeah. There are, there are just many ways. So it's just a way that he's doing, not the way. That's what I hope for with some of the adults learning the life skills. And I hope that they take it to their team, especially if they're in a position where they're a leader outside of the martial arts floor, that they can take that into their life and use it with their team or with themselves and expand and make their businesses even better. 
Well, I think even if someone doesn't even have a leadership title, if they instill these life skills and they use them with the people around them, then they become a leader. Yeah, absolutely. You know, people are leaders, not by, not by the title that they're given, but by the people that watch them. Even though you're, you're not listed as the, the leader of this group, eyes are going to watch you if you're doing the right thing. People are just going to be drawn to you. It's a law of attraction. If you're doing the right thing and you're, you're doing the things that w- a, a leader would be doing, even though you're not titled that, they're going to follow you. And they'll follow that example too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right, Master Burns, um, one of the last questions I ask people is, if you were to create a five-song soundtrack for your work, what songs would you include? All in sync songs. No, I'm just oh. kidding. I do love me some in sync <laughs> music, you know. Um, I, I love my boy bands, you know. Uh, um, wow, that's a tough question. I'll pick five real quick. I have my uh, Spotify ready. I think Glorious is a song that I would use by Malcolm Moore. Oh, um, nice. That one's a great one uh, just to get you moving. Um, I also uh, find myself being very. Um, encouraged and empowered by uh elevate by uh citizens way that's a great one um and then obviously anything on the karate kid soundtrack you know the best around that one yeah joe, sums up, joe bean esposito you know, uh yeah i like that one uh and then any <laughs> to be honest with you any epic style like battle music where it's no words it's just a lot of you know um epic soundtrack music from like the Avengers, the Avengers, anything from gladiator, that type of music that really, really motivates me. It really gets me going. And and I play it a lot in class too. It it gets the students going. They, they enjoy it. It makes them feel like, like champions. I see them enjoy that. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. My boys actually walk around sometimes like humming or singing with their mouth, uh, the Avengers theme or the, the, the Avengers music that they hear in class. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll always come with some, some music that's, uh, out there that they've never, they've never heard before, but then they enjoy it usually. So. Well, I think soundtracks like that can help us in whatever we're doing. So it's, it's, it's helpful to have that music to be able to relate oh, to. Absolutely. If I could wake up and it, this music starts playing. And I don't have to control it and just plays based on whatever's happening in my life at that time. Yeah. That'd be a pretty, uh, pretty fun thing. Amazing to have your own walking soundtrack when, when you go through, because, uh, I don't know, the music drives you to do and helps you to do a lot of things that maybe you feel a little, uh, low on the, the self-esteem today or just, uh, just, uh, the willpower. I would yeah. say more on willpower today. Music definitely motivates you. Those beats, those sounds. They get to you. They do. All right, Master Burns, where can people go to learn more about you or to learn more about ATA? To learn more about ATA, you can go to atamartialarts.com. For me, there's not a lot that you can find out about me. I don't have a very big digital footprint. Um, Not yet. Yeah, not yet. No, I don't know about that. Uh, That's a scary thing. Uh, If you do want to find me, you can always come to Franklin, Tennessee and come to uh, the West Haven community and check out our school. Uh, that would be great. Um, but, um, I am on, uh, Instagram at Mr. Burns and that's M I S T A B U R N S. And, uh, yeah, that's, that's about all I have. Right there you there. go. Every once in a while, there, there, there's some good life skill content thrown out on your Instagram. Yeah. I'm pretty private a lot of times and I don't divulge a lot, but if there's something that's good to be said, I, I I'm sure that I, 
pops out there sometimes. There you go. (laughs) Well, Master Burns, it's great seeing you, great seeing you in this setting. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for uh, being the first live in-person interview. Absolutely. This is an awesome thing, but I appreciate it. I'm so grateful for you and your family. Um, the boys are amazing <laughs> and they, they really are, are doing um, a tremendous job in their training and, and really starting to grow into, you know, young, young leaders. And, um, that's the, that's everything we need. And so, um, you know, I'm very blessed to, to have the opportunity to, to train your family and to interact with you and to be on this podcast. And, you know, I thank thank God every day for, for all the opportunities. So thank you so much. Oh, you're, you're welcome. You know, you, you mentioned the boys. Yeah. I have loved watching them grow in their ability, their ability to do these moves, their ability to actually throw around nunchucks, which <laughs> I never could have thought I could have done at their age. But then also with the life skills, like I have watched them mature and develop so much over the past year and a half. So I appreciate that. Awesome. Anytime. Right. Cool. I'm ready. I'm always here for, for the simple brand. Awesome. Well, thanks again. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Master Mark Burns. And I hope you got some inspiration for how you can be a better leader, a better coach, a better communicator, or simply better at all you do. So if you're in the Nashville area, check out ATA Franklin at atafranklin.com. And if you're anywhere else in the world, check out ataonline.com. Whether it's for your kids or you or your whole family, ATA will help you be stronger and more effective across everything you do. And if you're enjoying the Simple Brand Podcast, go ahead, hit that subscribe button, because that's going to make it a lot simpler for you to get future episodes like the next one featuring Josh Linkner. Josh is the number one most booked innovation keynote speaker. He's a New York Times bestselling author, and he's a professional-level jazz guitarist. I don't even know how he has time to do all that. Josh and I talk about his latest book, Big Little Breakthroughs, How Small Everyday Innovations Drive Oversized Results. Josh dispels the myth that innovation comes from big tech companies or from some super smart geeks in hoodies off in some secret tech lab. In fact, everyone, including you and your team, has the ability to be innovative and creative. Josh shows you how through some key habits and exercises to help you create your own breakthroughs. So go ahead and subscribe. You'll automatically get Josh's episode as soon as it's live. Until then, keep it simple. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Simple Brand Podcast. Want to make your listening experience simple and automatically receive each new episode? Visit our website, simplebrandpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. If you're finding value from the Simple Brand Podcast, leave us a rating or review. That helps us get the show to the ears of the people who need it most. Be sure to catch Matt right here next week. Same Matt time, same Matt channel. Until then, keep it simple.